Lee Henson Hasty. I'm the Senior Director of Theological Education Funds Development for uh, the Committee on Theological Education at the Presbyterian uh, Foundation. Um, and it's been so much fun over the last few months hosting and introducing people uh, sometimes to leaders who lead theologically. And that's actually my podcast now, Leading Theologically. Uh, today I have with me Bertram Johnson. He is a wonderful leader in the PCUSA, if you don't know him, uh, based in the New York City area, New York City Presbytery, um, member in good standing. Um, he's approaching his seventh uh, anniversary of his ordination yeah. uh, just later this month. And um, so excited to have you with us, Bertram, and glad electricity's back on where you live. <laughs> I am glad that it's on too. We would have had to do this by my phone, which would have worked, but. It's right. It's always a little, it's always, this is, this is the way it works in the pandemic. I mean, we just cross our fingers and hope, you know, that the technology holds up. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, I'm just glad, glad to have you here. Um, Bertram is the interfaith chaplain at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. Um, and that is a role, a pastoral care kind of role um, at the seminary. He also uh, supervises a number of peer chaplains or seminarians um, at, at, um, at Union. They meet regularly. That gives him a great context and also maybe an education for some of you all who um, don't know what's happening in theological education today that, to hear about kind of what's happening live on the ground. Um, I think y'all meet weekly. Uh, to talk about uh, topics, but he has a beautiful background in this. We're going to post his bio um, in, in the links there, but you can Google at Union Theological Seminary. Um, he is uh, also served first right out of seminary. He went to Princeton Theological Seminary um, and graduated in, 20, in 1996. Oh my gosh. Um, and then served at University Church in Seattle um, and uh, a number of other places. He ended up at Riverside Church uh, in New York City most recently, and then back to Union. Middle Collegiate was part of that. He's involved in HIV uh, chaplaincy, oncology chaplaincy. This guy is involved in next church national strategy team. Um, he also will be a preacher. Uh, we might want to hear about that. Actually, the opening worship preacher for the next church national gathering that's going to be um, in early March. Uh, I wrote down that date um, somewhere around here. I think it's March 5th or 7th or something like that. Um, opening worship at 11 a.m. that day. We'll get that. Um, please, please join. That's a free event for anybody. You know, you've got to register, but please register and join us then. Um, but as I do each for each show, um, Bertram, I wanted to, to ask about what it is that is making you come alive. Um, you're a, you're a newlywed just, uh, over like a year and a half, <laughs> right? And, um, I'm, I'm hoping that's giving you life. Um, and, uh, but what is it that's making you come alive? What is it? The what is the work your soul must have, as Katie Cannon, uh, a Union grad, by the way, um, uh, yes. used to say. Reverend Dr. Katie Cannon. Yes, we're grateful for her legacy there, uh, and throughout the whole denomination. But right, uh, 
I started I started work at Union Theological Seminary back in January. So yeah, it's been I've been there for a year now. Wow. And came on as uh, one of I sort of one of two interfaith ministers. And I'll also say that the other person who's the the other interfaith minister is also a Presbyterian. Oh, Rand Teeson, which is beautiful to have both of us in those uh, sharing that role there. Right. Um, but I would say the thing that's really uh, sort of filling me uh, is really the work with students, um, to be able to sit with them in their discernment process. Uh, and you talk about chaplaincy. I mean, the title is Interfaith Minister, but I really do serve as a chaplain, uh, offering spiritual care and guidance for uh, seminarians as they discern their way into future call into ministry and life and service uh, to God and the church and the world as a whole. Uh, and yeah, I... Uh, one of the reasons I was hired is that I've been um, commissioned with starting a program um, to help students support students. So I uh, recruited three students back in the spring and then they started working as peer chaplains. And so we, 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 we meet every week uh, to talk to, uh, to offer them support and guidance, uh, supervision as they um, discover their role uh, in developing a new program in the midst of a pandemic. Because when we had the vision, when, when Union had the vision for the project they didn't really no one knew that the pandemic was coming and so right. to adjust and figure out what does it mean to provide spiritual spiritual care online so i've been doing all of my chaplaincy work at union um since the second week of march online and been pretty consistent with that throughout the entire year wow um and that gives you life to have that connection with those peer chaplains that's part of the what's giving yeah. you life yeah um you know working with seminarians is a bit intimidating uh, they come with, you know, their strong ideals, and Union has a strong sense of justice. Uh, and so um, use of language and how we talk about God and spirit. And, uh, you know, my title is Interfaith, and so not all the students I um, serve or we serve at the seminary are one tradition. And so being able to sit with a person who has a different perspective on God and theology and faith and um, the language and the traditions that they come from, it's, it, it can be sort of uh, intimidating to a degree, um, but I'm grateful to be able to, uh, that I have skills and resources and having worked, um, I worked, you talk about my HIV work, I worked uh, in Seattle for a number of years, or about seven years, doing HIV chaplaincy for an organization called Multi-Faith Works, and I think that gave me the um, background of being able to to listen to people of other traditions and help them connect to God in a way that's meaningful in the language and um, the sense of heart that's true for them. Mm -hmm. uh, the word that seems key to me and part of a real important part of this conversation in many ways is a verb you just used is listen. Mm. And um, in, in, providing spiritual care and pastoral care and friendship and relationship and being tuned into the spirit, <laughs> however you want to talk about it. it. That's, I feel like that must be where it starts. Um, I don't know if you have more to say about that. What, do you, what are you listening to or listening for? Um, I think listening for the truth that's behind just the words. Um, mm -hmm. Listening for listening and sensing how the spirit is moving might be moving in a person's experience or my experience in the moment. Um, one of the things, I don't know if I shared this with you, is that um, I'm also in the process of being trained uh, as a spiritual director right now. Oh, no, through, uh, okay. Uh, through an Episcopal church in Brooklyn. Uh, and part of the interesting thing about that group 
Uh, we're being trained and supervising at the same time, but it's a group of, uh, it's a predominantly African-American congregation and mm -hmm. we're all people of color who are involved in the leadership, who are in this training program. Uh, and so part of, I, I'm, so I'm getting this listening work sitting and listening uh, has become a, a more regular part of my, my spiritual practice. I uh, started this year doing more centering prayer. Um, mm. you know, over a year, I've been trying to, not every day, but most days of the week, try to sit and listen for the way that God's spirit is moving me, uh, which definitely informs the work that I'm doing with the students and you know, the places where I'm offering pastoral care, spiritual care in other places in my life. We, we had started uh, just talking informally uh, I was putting in just punching in the title of our conversation and uh, I sort of joked I started with providing spiritual care to self and others but I think we have it titled others to self but um, you mentioned it it does kind of start with that with yourself if you're not having having taken care of your own spirit and your own connection to God first it's hard to I mean, that's, I know that most folks know that, but it's an important reminder. And, and this seems like the centering prayer you're doing is one way that you're taking care of yourself and your own spirit. Well, yeah, it's, it's a way for me to be connected to God and to, mm -hmm. um, I think, calm myself, first of all. Mm -hmm. and I'm in this time of pandemic where there's lots of chaos and anxiety and fear. There's violence, violence there's threat, um, you know, from political leaders and from um folks in the community. Uh, and so spending time in a way that grounds me, um, that at least combats some of the fear that I may experience as a black man, as a black gay man walking through this world in this time. Um, right. so that time with God is central. And I realize in days when I don't do it in the morning, I know that I need to do it at night just to mm -hmm. um, put some closure to um, get me centered again before you know I start another day um, coming. Right. Up. But, but also the work with the seminarians, like, um, you know, there's transference, there's, you know, I don't want to put myself into their place and stuff aside. So uh, me being centered in, in what God is saying to me and listening on their behalf, to what God might be saying to them is also a, sort of a, a role that I share in that work. Well, I mean, it, it, it seems like that role, and maybe it's why Presbyterians are in it. I mean, this is what we do with sessions, right? I mean, this is how session, sessions, if they are spiritual leaders in their uh, churches, are hopefully functioning this way in one way or another, or maybe the board of deacons too, or maybe it's all together. But um, there's, um, it seems like that's a similar role. Listen, as a pastor or as a moderator, you know, of a session, you're, you're helping listen for them too, um, and uh, paying attention, that really makes sense. What, what does that look like? Does that look like silence? Is it, does it look like meditation? Does it look like reading? Is it different for you every day? Or what, it, what are those practices that are? Practice? Mm -hmm. yeah, right. I, most of the day, um, I, I have a friend who's doing um, uh, extended study with Richard Rohr Institute. Mm -hmm. And um, he has been a guide for me in this work. Uh, mm -hmm. So I've read some work about centering prayer and I forget the, the articles that we started with. Uh, but I take about 20 minutes in the morning um, and I focus on a given. Mm -hmm. um, often, it's, often it's a phrase, um, you know, a, a notion of spiritual truth that I want to hold on for myself. Or often it's an inviting of the spirit to come, to be present. So come Lord Jesus maybe a phrase uh, that I use. And 
I think in that space of vulnerability, making myself um, open to how God might be moving, speaking, what God might be saying in that place. And, and I really try to allow that time, my centering prayer time to be really just that, um, mm-hmm. that I'm not calling to mind other things that I need to pray for. So sometimes I'll start with the centering prayer. And then after that, go into my own uh, time of thanks and petition, um, you know, intercession. But really the, the centering prayer is to allow myself to open my heart to how the how God may be moving in that moment. Mm-hmm. I like the posture you even started moving back. Just kind of, there, there is a posture almost of yeah. openness. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not, I always was taught to pray just so closed, you know, and, and it's been a real gift to me to start to just feel more open, you know, um, and essential, like penitent and humble posture, but also uh, allowing myself to be open and used and motivated and moved, inspired by the spirit. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's beautiful. Um, so tell us, tell us some about the, um, the conversations that are happening. I, mean, I don't want to, you know, no, no uh, uh, confidentialities or what have you uh, given away, but, but what are the kind of directions, the hopes, the dreams, the practices within this uh, peer chaplaincy program? Because that seems like that's a way you're caring for them and they're caring for others too, I guess. There's some there's some modeling, I'm guessing, that's happening there. Is that the idea? Yeah. It, um, you know, I'm providing spiritual care for them in the way that they hopefully will model and practice that with the, you know, their classmates. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we went through some, I'd say, fair, fairly thorough training in helping them understand their role and, like, what, what they are there to do and also what they're not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, setting clear boundaries that, you know, no one can be anyone's... Um, we're not there as ther- therapists. We're not there as saviors. We're really there to help them listen to God's voice. Uh, and so it really takes the pressure off of us. We don't have to, we're not there to fix or to, um, to get them to move in a particular direction as to only what God, what they hear God saying for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we speak, uh, I meet with the three students that I'm supervising on a weekly basis. Uh, and we, we just process the situations that come up. Uh, we talk about their anxieties, um, mm-hmm. uh, the fears that they've had over the semester, and it's been beautiful to see them evolve and grow into that, or grow, mm-hmm. grow through the insecurity uh, into a sense of, like, I'm just holding space, and how God shows up for this person is, you know, I'm able to sit with them in that and, mm-hmm. uh, and encourage them to, to follow their own path as opposed to one that we try to set for them because right. the path that we set may not be the path that... <laughs> Uh, you're not prescribing this is what you need to do right the goal is really to encourage them to find deeper connection um, Mm -hmm. to god Mm -hmm. right you know that's that's interior work that's ongoing work that's that's beyond the you know 45 minutes 45 minutes or hour that you spend with some person right and you may only see them once you know Mm -hmm. they just come that one time um but the there's a lot of you know as i don't know if you went through this experience uh, vocational um, discernment questions, sure. um, challenges, you know, people are doing field education placements for the first time, uh, mm-hmm. working in a new city and a new church, uh, and trying to figure out what does it mean to be a pastor, to speak with, um, with integrity and authority, and um, how to bring creativity into worship and leadership in this time when everything's happening online. Uh, and so I, I work, I mean, I'm 
supervising students, but I'm also seeing students outside of the three that I'm supervising. And people are just trying to figure out also like the world that I came to serve in seminary doesn't look like the world that we're in right now. And I'm questioning of call and uh, direction after seminary. And then people go through, you know, real life issues of, um, I had three students who lost family members um, between March and May of this year or last year. Um, and uh, how does that impact their call to ministry or relationship with family? Uh, and then not being able to grieve, not being able to go home and grieve those loved ones um, in the way that they would have had it not been this pandemic time. Uh, and so these are all real, real questions, real life issues um, where people are seeking God, we're seeking uh, a sense of truth and comfort and, su and support. Um, actually, yeah, I just have another student. I'm thinking I had a fourth student who's, who's had a, uh, she lost her father uh, over the holidays and just wrote me yesterday to schedule another time uh, to talk about um, how she's processing that with her family. Uh, and so it's, I mean, these are, I'm not in the congregation, but these are things that, you know, congregational pastors encounter on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and I'm just doing it in a different context um, where I don't know all the folks, but they come to, they come to me or Reverend Fran and um, are looking for another place to get some guidance and support in the midst of their journey. It seems like something that's important there that we shouldn't miss kind of between the lines is they are coming to you. <laughs> you know, not always do people come to us who are there in need. I'm always, you know, the classic thing is like, why didn't you come see me? I was in the hospital. I didn't know, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing is, and I think particularly now in, in this pandemic, and uh, so I'm wondering what you're learning during this time that's maybe different or important or just, you know, that you're learning or you're um, along taking care of yourself and others that uh, helps create that kind of, tr there's some trust there, I think, mm -hmm. that is being nurtured. Um, you know, we're not running into each other in the hallways, right? <laughs> you know, or in the worship space. So you've got, or maybe it's this, this weekly meeting, these, you know, that's not about an agenda um, uh, uh, in terms of a business agenda. I mean, your agenda is a spiritual agenda, yeah. it sound, sounds like. I, I mean, I just wonder what it is that can, um, yeah, that could be takeaways for congregational leaders for, um, on this topic. Well, I think in the midst of all the programming that churches are trying to maintain and develop even new programming in the, in the midst of this time, uh, spiritual care is core um, mm -hmm. to the working life of, of, you know, Christian community and to the church. And I think if we could be um, maybe more invested in the ways that we provide care for people, not so much new programming, but, you know, checking in with families in the ways that you can. Um, reaching out to the folks who, you know, in a congregational context, maybe you haven't heard from them or seen them in the Zoom worship lately, reaching out to that family and seeing how they're doing, just letting them know uh, that you care for them. Uh, I have a friend who I uh, was talking to, she works in ministry uh, in Florida, and there's a family that just had a, a new baby. And instead of sending them something through the, you know, online or email, she wrote, you know, hand wrote, hand hand wrote. wrote. Uh, I've been doing a lot of that myself. <laughs> I think it's for me too. It's not just for the other person. What, what do you feel like you get from that? I, I think it's the knowledge that somebody is going to touch something that I touched. 
I think it's something around the touch, you know, cause here we can't, <laughs> I can't touch you, <laughs> you know? Um, and I, I, I think that's part of it. Um, I think it also is the, the slower that it's slower. It's not just the instantaneous. Um, there, I feel like kind of, I can continue to pray about that or think about that as it goes. And it's always really fun because, <laughs> um, uh, you know, folks will text, text me back. I got your card. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and, um, I don't know, there's something neat about that. It's, it's, but it makes me smile to have those connections. I don't know. I think the, the tangible, the having the, the card, mm -hmm. the note, whatever it is, um, in a culture where we don't do that often, it, it feels sort of abnormal now to actually, right. Uh, right. Christmas card, Christmas cards and, you know, birthday cards are so important. When, um, yeah. But it's an additional step that you took to actually communicate mm -hmm. grace and care to a person. So right. That really means a lot. It's humanizing. Right. Now, I'm thinking about some of your, what informs some of your practices, particularly working in the HIV AIDS community and in the cancer community. Um, that had to be something that informs how you think about it during this COVID, during these COVID times. Um, I don't know if there's something you have to share there. Well, this is an aside, but I'm also now working for the COVID Prevention Network. Okay. <laughs> uh, helping raise awareness about COVID prevention, uh, research and advances uh, among faith communities. So started that um, as a consultant back in the fall. Uh, and for folks working across the U.S., uh, across denominations and interfaith, I have a colleague who's a Muslim woman with a gifted ministry in HIV. This is yeah, definitely a part of what um, uh, what I'm doing, and it feels like these these issues issues keep coming up in my life. It seems like there's a sense of call in place in that. Um, but I think the thing that I learned from the HIV/AIDS community when I first started working, uh, when I was doing CPE, honestly, uh, as a chaplain at Grady Memorial Hospital. Oh wow! Uh, in Atlanta, wow. We're praying for Atlanta. Thank God for Georgia. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, worked at Grady uh, the summer of 94, so I turned 24 that summer. Uh, and that was my real exposure to the HIV-AIDS community. And, you know, being 24 with limited life experience from a small town in Northeast Florida, uh, one year seminary, um, I didn't really know what I had to offer. Wow. Folks <laughs> who were, you know, in Grady, which is the public hospital there, and seeing um, primarily men, um, gay men who were dying from the virus. Uh, mm. hear the stories of how they had been, um, you know, to come in as a chaplain, to be a person who was younger probably than they expected, um, but to hear the stories of how they'd been rejected by um, their families, by their communities, by the society as a whole, um, but more importantly, or just as importantly, um, by faith communities, by churches, um, mm -hmm. be condemned um, to say that, to, to hear that the virus that they have, the condition that they were living with, was a sign of God's judgment and curse. Mm. And um, I wasn't an out man at that, per at that point in my life, but I understood what it felt like to be rejected. I understood mm. what it felt uh, to be pushed to the margins and considered right. and, and other. Uh, and it felt like my job as, as a chaplain at that point uh, was to be an ambassador of God's love and grace. Uh, to remind them that they were beloved as they were and that uh, this is not God's judgment and that I, in, in, you know, in a tangible way, 
got to hold hands and touch foreheads and offer prayer uh, for uh, people who'd been, most of the men who'd been um, sort of left for death. Uh, right. You know, few visitors, um, lots of shame and uh, condemnation socially. Uh, and, it, and it helped me see how tan how important um, the like your presence, being present with someone, uh, offering God's grace, uh, and showing up, showing yeah. up for them, and and I mean we can still do that, and even if it's virtual, you know, remote, as Frank Yamada reminded me a couple of months ago, we're not virtual. This is real. Yeah, it's just not. <laughs> you can still be present with someone. Um, but just remotely, I, that, I think that's incarnational. The the, the way yes. God's presence in mm-hmm. whatever venue or format you're doing it, how you do it, um, right? Do that for the folks that we're, we're called to serve. Um, I want to make sure there are some folks watching. I'll mention Jessica Tate, who's commenting on our bow ties, and Letitia Wells uh, as well. Um, amening, amening this deeper connection with God. I think it, it that's where it really starts providing care for self and others is is nurturing that connection and not everybody does it exactly the same way but i think your practices of centering prayer are there other things that you would say that are helping uh take care of yourself uh meals with your spouse or i mean walks i don't know what it might be (laughs) well i we do set dinner as a priority um yeah we um He's a morning person. I'm more of a late person. He gets it earlier. We actually did share breakfast together, but we usually have our breakfast, lunch separate. You know, he's on calls, I'm on calls. We're doing different things throughout the day, but dinner is really the time where we come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of what we've done, um, to to find our grounding as a couple. Um, and um, we, uh, I will say this: we are currently out of the U.S. Uh, we've been out of the U.S. since October 27th. We've been providing. I mean, that's taking care of yourself. New York City has kind of been ground zero for this virus. So yeah, we actually left. We left New York uh, in early uh, April 1st and stayed with a friend upstate, um, uh, pretty much until the fall, uh, mm-hmm. because he lives on a farmhouse on 25 acres and said, "You guys should leave the city." Uh, right in our two-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn, uh, putting them, giving us this. Right, that was going to get scary real fast and yeah. stir crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, one of us on the Zoom call out front, one of us on the Zoom call. <laughs> uh, so yeah, finding finding ways to care for your spirit, to care, to create space for rest is, mm-hmm. is and I would I would actually challenge a lot of um, church leaders right now. Um, like, do you need to do all that you're doing? I know there's there's a sense to maintain the church, but yeah. um, programming and all the, uh, the activities to keep um, church lively. And like, I understand there's a balance, um, but uh, what can you do to care for yourself and actually not try to replicate and keep up with sort of capitalism in the way that we experience it? Um, we're afraid the church is gonna fall because we're not getting money. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the ministry of, of care uh, for the congregation may be just as important or more important than uh, keeping the money flowing in. And that one I, I want to say to you, and I've experienced this in a number of, and, and it's been true today, is, and it seems important to this conversation is, um, and unfortunately we're running out of time, I can't believe it, but you asked beautiful life-giving opening questions. And that's a great question for a pastor, for any of us. 
uh, to ask is, do, do you need to keep doing all you're doing <laughs> to really uh, still answer your call? I mean, I mean, I think these are, this is, this is so important. I was um, just reading and I recommend this. I will be recommending this a lot. Um, an article by Dean Thompson and the latest Presbyterian Outlook on mentoring. And he has a series of really great questions along these lines. He was, he came and spoke at Sing Sing Prison um, uh, as part of the New York Theological, your sister school there um, uh, at their program in Sing Sing. It's just, it's just amazing. And I think asking those questions, you do a beautiful job of that. Um, I'm going to be following that. And folks, it is March 5th. Friday, March 5th, mark your calendars, 11 a.m. Bertram will be preaching for next church national gathering. Please be sure. I think there's links there. Register, um, invite all your friends, invite your session, invite, if you're on the session, invite your pastor, you know, everybody to come and join. I think it's going to be a great event. And that, by the way, is not, they're not trying to do everything just the way it's done. You know, I think that they're scaling it back, but there's some really key uh, things happening there. Um, I'll be back on. It would normally be January 20th, but that's inauguration day for our next president of the United States. So we're going to go to Thursday, the 21st. And I have a pastor from Southern California. Some of you may or may not know Jessica Von Lower. Uh, she's in a PhD program in leadership. Uh, and we'll be talking about leading congregations in 2021. I hope you'll join us for that. Uh, that should be a lot of fun. Um, she's super energetic. Um, uh, you're an Enneagram four, which also Rumi and share are both Enneagram fours. <laughs> that seems like that fits. I don't know why. I'm between Rumi and share. <laughs> so I'm very excited, uh, you know, and I know you love show tunes. I mean, so I'm very excited to invite you because who knows what you will do to offer a charge of benediction, uh, what that's going to sound like. <laughs> if uh, That would be a blessing to us, to me, for sure. Now I feel like I need to pull Rumi and share into the theater. <laughs> peace into that. Um, but I will just say, um, go in peace and um, take time for yourself today. Uh, to sit in the presence of God and allow God just to nurture you and care for you as you are. Uh, you are God's beloved, uh, and uh, God is with you. God is with us all. Go in peace. Go in peace. Um, thank you so much, Bertram. Um, also, Bertram is a writer. He's, he was part of the writing team for the Sarasota Statement, so when you go to the next church, look that up too. Um, such a gift to the church and the world, Bertram, you are. And thanks for taking time uh, to be with us today. It's, it, it means so much. Um, I was touched, especially by your benediction. Um, and uh, <laughs> an invitation. That's, it's an honor to, uh, to share in our, in our larger denomination. So. Amen. Friends, we'll see you soon, we hope. Take care. Peace. Peace.